0: Welcome to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Getting Common covers a variety of topics and features guests from business, law, politics, government, education, and some of the most insightful entrepreneurs. It's a refreshing, common-sense approach to some of the most important discussion points today. Now, here is your host, Carlos Chapman. Hello, everyone. I'm Carlos Chapman, and I'm your host of Getting Common. In my day job, I'm an associate professor at Washington and Lee's Law School. Today's episode is a part of our entrepreneurship series, and I will be highlighting Mark Simmons of Mixed Digital. Mark is a fellow Duke alum, and his business, Mixed Digital, has thrived in the Raleigh Durham area for years, and it has expanded into the education sector. I'm excited to introduce Mark to you and to get into the discussion of all things mixed digital. Now, Mark, I gave a brief introduction of you and your company, but I'd love to hear how you introduce yourself and what your elevator pitch is for mixed digital.
1: Well, good morning and thank you for having me on the show. really appreciate it. So as far as my elevator pitch, when i when I meet someone and try to explain what I do, um, I'll typically say, I'm the founder of Mixed Digital. We're a full-service marketing agency servicing clients across multiple industries, though we specialize in the um, independent education or independent school industry because of our special expertise there.
0: And so what made you want to start your own business and take this leap into entrepreneurship?
1: It started early on because my father ran his own computer programming company. You know, Kind of what you would think about as a software company these days was a little bit different back then, but seeing him run his own business in the way that it gave him the freedom to spend more time with the family always appealed to me. And I knew that going into the workforce, I wasn't going to stay there and continue to be an employee. Um, In fact, when I started working at my first agencies, I paid attention to the business side of things and and kind of made that plan in my head to go out and start consulting on the side. So I was consulting while I was still employed. And then once I got to a point where it made sense, I was able to step away.
0: So what did you do right after you graduated? What what industry sector were you in and what kind of work were you doing?
1: So after I graduated, I started off in financial services. I needed a job. And getting Getting a job as a financial services rep was it was sort of attractive to me, but it was also one of those one of those things that kind of fell into my lap. Um, and I did like what I did there. I was able to help people and I learned a lot about my own personal finances and how to manage money and all of that. Uh, and then that kind of led into marketing as we branched off into selling term insurance online. so that was that that was that transitional period into the, the marketing from the sales
0: And, and why Durham? Um, You could pick, you know, other than the fact that you went to Duke, but, you know, you clearly aren't originally from North Carolina. So you could kind of pick anywhere in the world. And, you know, what makes you come back to Durham?
1: Well, I had a great time in college. So that was definitely (laughs) one of the factors there. And my parents actually moved down into the area before I did. So that was another factor that that influenced our decision. I think ultimately, when it came down to my significant other at the time, and I looking at purchasing a home, prices were out of control in North New Jersey, where we were living. And we just, we didn't see the value in it. And we decided to move down south. And so it naturally, we landed on the the Raleigh-Durham area. And eventually, after starting in Raleigh, moved to Durham.
0: So with with Mixed Digital in particular, you know, you're you're in this interesting sector. I should say that, you know, Mark uh helps design my blog and has done some of my own personal uh marketing and branding stuff for me. Um, you know, how do you get a company like Mixed Digital off the ground? Um, how do you find your first customers? Like, what does it take um to start something like that and turn it into something that is successful?
1: Yeah, I, I think that you have. As an entrepreneur and budding business owner, you have options as to how you want to go about getting that business off the ground. Of course, you can go to the SBA. You can go to private investors and, and, and ask for money, right? Or you can bootstrap it. And that's exactly what I did. I, While working full-time, I scoured Craigslist. Really, that was where I got my first opportunities. I scoured Craigslist just looking for people that, needed marketing help. And I cold emailed them or cold called them and did that enough until I, I had some, some opportunities and started generating some income and call myself a marketing consultant. Um, where I made the transition from individual consultant to agency was when I was able to leverage my network, my professional network to get introductions to larger businesses that needed marketing help. Fortunately, There were still enough businesses at that time, and this is back in 2009 or so, that hadn't embraced digital marketing and didn't know how to navigate the space and needed someone like myself and my team to help them navigate. And that's how I was able to make that transition and generate enough income to be able to step away from the full-time day job.
0: So how long did you have to, you know, kind of have this as a side hustle? How, how many years did it take you to generate yeah. these clients, get the team together, and, and then be able to just take a step away?
1: Probably four or five years. Wow. Probably four or five years of getting, getting small gigs. And a lot of those gigs were based on my core, my core competency and experience. Because I worked at search marketing agencies in New York, that was what I felt most comfortable with. And so I would get these small jobs with local mom and pop companies such as, let's say as an example, a florist that just wants to get on Google ads, doesn't understand how to do it and they need a professional help. And I'm able to, to charge enough to make them feel comfortable, but drive enough value to keep them on as a client. So yeah, to answer the question about four or five years.
0: And then let's, let's talk a little bit about the transition period, the transition period from, this is a side hustle, this is, you know, scouring Craigslist to launching Mixed Digital as a standalone entity, um, you know, how did that process work?
1: Once I realized that this had the potential to be, you know, real and I could turn this into an entity, um, I went through the process of securing a lawyer and filing for our LLC. So we, we got the business formalized, so to speak. Uh, We built our website so that we would have a destination for people to check us out and build that credibility, give an understanding of what we do. And simultaneously, we were really pressing. I, I did have a partner at the time. and We were really pressing our networks to be able to leverage our experience we had from working in the agency world, working on Fortune 500 clients, and having that knowledge base to bring to them at a much lower cost than they would pay at one of those agencies, you know, one of the larger agencies, us being such a very small boutique startup, um, the value proposition was a lot greater. So once we had you know, the formal business formed, we had the website, we started our marketing and we did just a lot of cold calling, a lot of cold emailing and, and really put a full court press into the process. And we were lucky in the beginning to, to leverage those connections for some nice size retainers that gave us that opportunity to then really expand and reinvest in the company and in the marketing.
0: You know, what I find interesting about this business, you're the first entrepreneur I've spoken to who doesn't have heavy barriers to entry, right? You know, it seems like your biggest barrier to entry is your personal knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd, I'd like to hear more about You know, did you have to acquire office space? Did you, you know, outside of needing, you know, internet and computers and people with the skills, um, were there other, and and obviously the clients, but were there other barriers for y'all that, um, you know, could have stopped your flow and stopped your process?
1: Right, right. Fortunately, because we're working in the digital space and you can do that work from anywhere, we did not need office space in the beginning. It took us a very long time to even rent co-working space and get that wrapped around our head that it would be beneficial for us to have a space for prospective clients to come and meet with us face to face and and seem more professional looking back it may or may not have really made a difference because of the type of work that we do Um, companies especially today are much more apt to work with remote contractors and consultants it's not that big a deal, um, yeah. The digital marketing agency world is a is a very low overhead business. There's software that you need to do the work, but you don't really need office space. You can go the route of hiring employees or working with consultants on an as needed basis. And so it this this digital this digital agency or this virtual agency concept is a very attainable. Proposition for the right people, right? If you have that experience, be able to deliver quality work and you're business minded to be able to manage people and relationships and clients, and you can make it happen with very low capital startup.
0: Now, in your expansion, you know, I always have this problem personally of hiring people, right? I tend to only hire my friends, <laughs> as Mark knows, because <laughs> um, it's when it's hard for me to trust people and pass things off. And, you know, I, only want people who I absolutely trust. So basically anyone I've known for 20 years gets hired and then anyone else, you know, it takes a while. Um, and so as you were expanding, even taking on a partner and, you know, expanding into, you know, needing to then hire consultants or employees, how did you manage that transition when you don't have an office space where you can look at them every day and you don't have the ways of getting to know people?
1: Right. So typically the way that I sourced people that I collaborated with or in a sense hired, uh, it would come from the profession, my professional network. So it would either be former coworkers or friends of former coworkers that were also in the industry so that I felt comfortable and knew that they had relevant experience and some sort of track record, right? If I have people that I know that can vouch for other people, then that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Um, When it came to taking on actual partners, I've only had one partner in the history, and that was a former coworker. I knew how that person worked. We we had very similar qualities in terms of doing the work, um, but we also had different skill sets in terms of myself being more business-minded and him being more sales-minded. It was a good collaboration because we complemented each other. When it came to the expansion into independent schools, uh, the young woman who I worked with on that, that was about her skill set in independent schools. It was she's got that direct experience. I've got the the business and the the reputation, right, the history with mixed digital. And you put that together, you bring the skills and the history and that that credibility. It helps us market the proposition better for prospective clients. Um, but it, it, I would say, I I am hesitant to hire or work with a perfect stranger. The same way that you are looking at working with friends, you want to have a good understanding because you're putting them in front of your clients and and it's your business. you you know your business becomes. Your baby. It's definitely my livelihood. And so I'm very protective of that and who I work with.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit about um, the growth and the expansion. Um, you know, what does what what is, what is Mixed Digital look like now? How many locations? Um, you know, how many employees? What are, what are operations like from now, you know, when you started way back in 2009?
1: Right, right. So the headquarters is and probably will always be Durham, North Carolina. Um, but we do have consultants and partners that we work with probably about 12 or 13 at this point on an as needed basis and the one young young lady in, um, in Tampa. So we determined that we had an opportunity to work with independent schools because of this particular skill set and the need that existed. It, it was us filling a need in the space where even though there were existing companies, they were charging an arm and a leg and not necessarily providing value uh, commensurate to what they were charging. And this is just based on initial research that we did in the industry. So we saw an opportunity. We saw an opportunity to service these schools, the smaller schools that, that needed help. Their departments are stretched too thin. It's a one-person show and they're wearing 10 different hats and they need that expertise to be able to uh, offload that. So that just happened to be where um, where she was located in Tampa and that's where we expanded to. So to answer your question there, we are about 12, 12 in number and two locations. Wow. In Durham, in Durham and Tampa Florida.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit more about independent schools because when I think about schools, I would not think about digital marketing at all. Um, and so it's interesting to me that that is a sector Um, that y'all are in, Um, you know, what is it that y'all bring to independent schools? Um, And, you know, how, how have you expanded those relationships over the years?
1: Right. So you're right. Schools, independent schools would typically be thought of in the realm of traditional marketing, making the most impact billboards, radio ads, print. I would say more conservative methods. Mm -hmm. However, recently, they've embraced uh, avenues like Facebook, because parents and grandparents are spending time and that's really who you're targeting.
0: When Mm -hmm. you're
1: looking at independent schools, they're paying the tuition, right, not the kids, you want to get exposure for the kids, but the parents ultimately make that decision. And and they're uh, primarily on Facebook there. So adding that into the mix, gives them that opportunity to increase the awareness and reach those people that are the decision makers in the family, right? For that, that particular case. Now, additionally, you have schools that just need direction. You know, they're they're overextended. They don't really have a separation with the marketing department and the development department and the. Um, I'm sorry the 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 development department and the um recruiting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. the recruitment mm-hmm. department. So you know looking at it separately, marketing communications versus recruitment, they always need to bring up their admissions numbers and needing help in building strategy using software. That's where we come in to bring them sort of a process in place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, those that need to refresh their their look or their branding. So those are a lot of opportunities that we do seem to get to talk about where a school says that our branding is, you know, it's old and needs to be refreshed. We need to uh, attract a different type of student. And so we need to update things. And that's where we come into play and are able to use our experience there in having worked with the schools from not only that execution standpoint of building out the assets, but developing that strategy to just give them that direction that they can use to improve their numbers. COVID has made has given us a good opportunity, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because things have changed significantly. A lot of schools are past the remote learning only, and some of them are still in hybrid mode, but others are getting kind of back to the regular, but it still gave us that opportunity to help them adjust in their strategies to attract new schools, to retain new students, and, just keep their operations growing and, and their their uh, population healthy.
0: You know, I, I find it interesting as someone who works in higher ed that, you know, you're totally right. Our, our framework has changed significantly, right? Like we, it's not enough to mail out brochures even in the higher ed context. You have to have visibility um, on all of these platforms and you need to control what happens when people search you, right? Like what uh-huh. happens when people run a Google search of your, of your school or of your faculty members. Um, And I had never thought about that also being a factor um, in elementary education or or lower education as well, um, that, that those schools too need that support. Now, I'd love to talk about what all it is, because people, you know, you mentioned marketing, development. uh, We haven't mentioned public relations. We've mentioned sales. Um, And I think with a business like yours, even in retaining you as personally, I often don't know what your business does for people versus what happens when I call a PR firm or what happens Mm -hmm. when I call like a traditional marketing firm. Um, So I'd love to get into the weeds a little bit more about, you know what, what's the value add of of contracting with a company like Mix Digital?
1: Right. So, I guess the best way to explain it is that we help brands tell their stories in the digital in a digital world. We're going to take that information that they have about their brand, their their unique selling positions, the why in what they do, and the value that they provide their customers, clients, or what have you, depending on what the business does. And then we translate that into a digital strategy. Where do we need to place you in order to reach as many of your target audience as possible? So we're using tools such as Google search, Google ads, we're using social media advertising, we're using uh, online banner advertising, if that makes sense. Um, And we're getting into things such as uh, interactive or streaming TV. You know, running Hulu ads so that we're really reaching a broader audience. Now, there's a big overlap because we also can produce traditional assets. We can produce print ads. We can do billboard ads. We can do, um, you know, bus stop ads or, or print mailers from a design perspective to assist them. We can also produce TV and radio spots. So it's a. that's why we call ourselves full service. hmm where we're crossing a lot of different um, modalities to be able to support our clients in almost any need that they have. Different from a PR agency because public relations is more about framing, framing the public's view of a company, a brand, an individual, and working with them intently to craft that view it's a different it's a it's a different type of work. Uh, I'm not sure I'm explaining it perfectly well because it's not something that we specialize in. Now we do support some PR agencies from a social media perspective if they need that support and we're able to help them develop social media strategy or do execution or help them with their ad buys. So there's a there's an overlap there. the the lines of blur. <laughs>
0: So, at what stage, you know, some, I think a lot of entrepreneurs make this mistake um, of thinking they either don't need a digital presence because they're small or they're local, or of trying to manage manage their digital presence on their own and then calling someone like you and our PR friends and our crisis management friends when things get out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, my question for you is the expert. You know, when is the best time to engage a company like yours and when you're starting a new business?
1: I think once you've gone through the thought process of what type of business am I trying to create, who am I going to be targeting, and what service or product am I offering? I think once you have a really strong understanding of those foundational elements it's time to bring in a professional branding team. So now we're going to look at all right. So let's do some research. Let's do some focus groups and really understand what drives people to purchase your product or hire you for the service that you're order that you're offering. What should what should you look like from a visual standpoint? What's going to attract people and speaks to what you're your offering? And then how are we going to get the word out? What how does that align with your budget to be able to drive awareness for your your new business to reach those target customers that you're looking to reach and start building up revenue that you can then reinvest in the business to grow it and scale it. So, early on, I mean early on once they've got a good understanding, it uh, in talking with those entrepreneurs that are looking to really get their business started up, I often tell them to talk to a business consultant to do some formal planning. I, I don't feel that many entrepreneurs will go through the exercise of creating a business plan. And I think that just going through that exercise really makes you think about the business and all of the risks and opportunities associated with it. I, I think that these days, entrepreneurs see so many influencers on, online Mm-hmm. making it big with no real plans in mind, they they kind of get lucky and they have to then take that, that virality and that success and turn it into a business. And when they're starting to talk with, with brands for promotion, they're getting sponsorship opportunities and then they see kind of where, where things can be, but they don't have a plan in place to take advantage. So yeah, it's you, you want to bring you want to bring someone like us an a, a marketing agency or, or a marketing entity in uh, kind of once you have that that foundation, once you've thought through some initial things.
0: You know, I, I love that you mentioned business plans because I'd, I'd love to go backwards a little bit with your own personal business planning and, and launching your startup. Um, I think, you know, what I find interesting is how many years you spent okay. with it as a side hustle. Um and, you know, the fact that it's clear that in, in before you quit your job, you had a, a plan in place. Um, and so I'd like to talk to you about, you know, how you developed your business plan and which you kind of envisioned uh, Mixed Digital would look like when you started um, and how that has deviated from your initial business plan.
1: Yeah, it, it did. It did change. So aside from just thinking about and using the experience that I had working for the agencies and understanding how how they handled business development, how they handled client management and and things like billing and pricing and how did all that come together for them. I started to take notes and and actually, you know, construct this business plan. And once I started collaborating with my partner to, to get this underway, we spent probably about a year working on this and we met in person, even though we were in different cities, we met in person Uh, about three or four times during the course of that year to have these mixed digital summits where we planned things out as to what are we going to what are we going to call ourselves what are we going to start out offering who are we targeting what's our what's our greatest opportunity what industry specifically is our greatest opportunity to go after that we think we can land some clients and generate revenue and then how much revenue do we need, you know, we started thinking forecasting, how much revenue do we need to generate in order to support the both of us and be able to move away from our full-time jobs? And, and what are the steps that we're going to need to take? How, how quickly can we expand out in terms of hiring individuals and what should we look at from an offering standpoint to expand that to? We originally started as paid search just mainly paid search only. And then we started offering websites. Then we started offering graphic design as we started building our connections and had people that were able to fulfill those aspects of the business. So originally we had focused on just offering paid search. and being We wanted to be a paid search agency and we didn't have an industry in mind. We were just kind of a, it didn't matter. We were just searching for, any opportunities that we had out there. Um, And then it kind of morphed into thinking about those industries that we started to have
0: more experience in.
1: So I'd say now we are, we're still, I guess we still talk with prospective clients of any industry, but we promote based on real estate and independent schools, because those are the areas that we have, the greatest amount of experience as mixed digital, it, it makes it easier for us to tell our story because we have case studies, we have references, and we have all that information to back up our claims there. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that I'll just add. I think that's it's an ever-evolving practice because opportunities present themselves at any time. Uh, Recently, I've had the opportunity to work with a couple of companies in the legal marijuana industry. One on the education side that offers certificates in things like horticulture and processing and uh, cooking with with cannabis. Um, And on the other side, doctors that do consultations for medical marijuana. So there's an opportunity there uh, because marketing for those those areas are very difficult, mm-hmm. where marketing is very difficult. Um, sites like Facebook and, and Twitter and LinkedIn don't allow it. And go- with oh. Google, you have to be very careful as to how you word things in order to get them to pass through editorial. So there's a skill. There's a definitive skill involved there. And because of that, a lot of companies are not advertising on Google, which gives us the opportunity to work with those that have the ability to but don't know how. We We solve a problem it's the, the classic example of fill the need and that's what we're trying to do there. So that's, that's something that I didn't expect. You know, that's an industry that I didn't expect to, to have opportunities in, but you have to be agile and seize, seize those opportunities when they arise.
0: Well, I had no idea that like, I, I hadn't thought about the fact that I'd never seen an ad on Facebook or Twitter for anything involving legal marijuana, but it totally makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I, if it, if you could, I would see it, right? Cause we see ads on everything. Um, right. So I'd never thought about why, like I always forget that what I see on my phone is designed and targeted by people like you, <laughs> right? Yes, it like, is. It's it's programmed to target me specifically. You know, as you think about expanding, I know you've done a music festival before. Um, you've done some other things and it's, you know, things that are kind of off the beaten path. Um, of which you normally do your normal bread and butter in expanding. Uh, when when you think about expanding in the future, do you think of bringing in more investors? Do you think of taking on debt to do those expansions? You know, what's your, ca- what's your thoughts on capital and how you, because it obviously takes money to make money, right? So what are your thoughts on, you know, how you use capital um, as you grow?
1: I have been very adverse to taking on investment capital or any kind of debt. Well, I shouldn't say debt because I do, I, I will, I will use debt. Um, unfortunately, mostly it's credit, but, um, I still will avoid using investors if I, if I can, I'd say that in terms of expansion, because our operations and our, um, our operational costs are so manageable, Mm -hmm. it's easy for us to add on additional Services and personnel. When you're able to work with consultants that kind of have their own practice and their own specialty, and you're just bringing them in on a project here or a project there, you are able to avoid having to hire on additional employees. I think at at some point in time, I would say definitely pre COVID, I was thinking about hiring physical W 2 employees, um, possibly a couple to work in the office that I was renting in downtown Durham. COVID changed everything. And now it's, it's changed my mindset of, do I really need the office space mm-hmm. <laughs> to survive and grow and thrive? And do I really need to have full-time employees in order to do the same? So it's it's something I'm still thinking about. I don't have the full answer there. I can just tell you that I don't have any plans to take on any investor debt and have additional um additional uh individuals with a say <laughs> in how I run the business. That's that's the fear there mainly.
0: You know, that's interesting. Um I think you're the well actually you're not the first person to say that. Um you know, I've I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who either you know, if they take on investors, they'll only do debt financing where they can buy them out at some point and it's only temporary um, or they've got their core group and they're not planning to bring people on at all. Um, And so I wonder, you know, if you're not from a from a lawyer who does business perspective, when we think about the ultimate growth strategy, we think merging and absorbing other people Mm -hmm. or the prospect of going public or of being acquired by someone else and retiring, right? Like that's how you retire. You, rec- you get acquired by someone else. Um, so I'd love to, to know as you adjust your business plan over the years, you know, have you thought about what's the maximum growth strategy? Um, do you end up acquiring some of your competitors? Um, do you, you know, try to take mixed digital public and, and have a more national reach um, or, <laughs> or, or, or do you let someone just buy you out when you're done?
1: Right. I, I think that it's the last one. Mm -hmm. I think that the exit strategy is acquisition. Uh, Definitely. uh, I don't, I never had designs to get too large. And so going public that wouldn't, that was never a thought in my mind. Um, And acquiring smaller agencies hadn't really, hadn't really broached that, that idea either. I would say that even at its inception, we never wanted to be considered a, one of the large, one of the larger agencies, we liked the boutique feel and had kind of a maximum thought of maybe 15 employees, 15, you know, not including myself, a total 15 hit count.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we always thought of ourselves a little bit differently than those larger agencies in terms of the level of service that we provide. We like to hire and all of the people that I've been fortunate enough to work with are at a, a, a higher level of experience. They have, they just have more years under their belt. They're not. We don't hire those to work with that are just out of college or a couple of years in the marketing industry, so that we can say that we have the best team out there with the most experience in this particular area, and really mean it. And I think that level of boutique service has has definitely been appreciated. By our clients, which, when you contrast that with larger agencies that maybe have 500, 1,000 headcount, you're gonna get a mix of who's assigned to your accounts, right? You're gonna get, there's gonna be a senior person associated, but the day to day work is likely gonna be someone that's very young, very green, and new to the industry, and not necessarily gonna be able to give you the best, you know, the best information, the best service. And the best results so that's that's kind of where we see ourselves as as a little bit different there but definitely um my game plan is acquisition (laughs) acquisition (laughs) to retirement at some point
0: yeah so you know that leads me to my next favorite question which is what's your why Um, and i think that you know in asking this question the reason i say what's your why and you've kind of you've answered it in answering that you've structured your business differently than people who have the, the vision of being a mogul. Um, but you know, what, what motivates you to be an entrepreneur, stay an entrepreneur um, and just not get a nine to five.
1: Freedom. It's the freedom to set my own schedule, to have time to spend with family. You know, I, I look back at all of the, the moments that I may have had to miss if I had to work with, you know, work for someone else and, have to, uh, request vacation time or request days off or things like that. Um, we were able to have me stay home and, uh, keep our firstborn out of daycare, wow. right? Because I was able to have that flexible schedule to, to watch over her while I worked and maintain that instead of shipping her off or sending it, you know, hiring a nanny or something like that. But it just, it gives me the freedom to be able to have a great work-life balance. I think that's, that's the one thing that I would never, ever want to give up. So that drives me to stay in business, to grow the business and maintain that lifestyle.
0: I don't, I think you're the first entrepreneur I've spoken to who who says they have a good work-life balance. Um, and so I find it impressive, um, and would love to know, you know, how do you juggle it all? How do you balance it all? Because you've, you've got to manage your employees, you've got to market the business and develop new business. Um, and obviously you have to do your job at some point, plus, you know, handling kid pickup and Mark has three kids for those who, who don't know him <laughs> already, but you know, you've got three kids of varying ages, and there's just a whole lot to juggle. So, you know, what's what's your day-to-day like and how do you manage it all?
1: I just feel like I'm very, very well organized and good with time management. I, I can tell you that in the beginning, when we were planning out Mixed Digital and that first, really the first couple, couple of years, the work-life balance was not so good. Um, But that was also before we had kids. So that was one factor that was taken out of it. But there were very long hours just just thinking about and stressing about the business and the growth. Now that things are stable and we've got that reputation, we have a nice client roster and I can maintain certain things. A lot of it comes with delegation and being able to offload a a number of tasks to trusted consultants and partners that are um, responsible for the work. But other than that, it's just keeping on track of things, using, using the tools that I have at my disposal, reminders and, and my, my whiteboard that you can't see in front of me <laughs> to just keep on task and on track of everything. Um, but I will also, I like to say I work very efficiently. So in those blocks of time that I have to be able to dedicate to work where I'm not a, a limo driver and picking up or dropping <laughs> off kids, you know, I focus and I can knock out a good deal of work in those time blocks and be able to to check out at 6 o'clock and be completely, you know, completely present for the family. So it it just takes organization for me. It takes organization and time management skills.
0: I'm just fascinated because you know my life. Um <laughs> so so the idea of like oh, plan. <laughs> like checking oh. out at five thirty or six thirty is 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 living the dream to me (laughs) i try (laughs) yeah
1: i try i mean there are some times where you know you get those random emails late at night and if it's not an emergency it doesn't get answered if it is an emergency then it's my business i'll answer it and make sure that the client's taken care of it's a carryover from agency life because oh sometimes it felt like it was twenty four seven when i worked for for some of those agencies they were just um a lot of different things going on and working with people in different clients in different time zones. You know you know how it is if you're working with someone at APAC, right? Yeah. You're going to be on a totally different schedule there. But thankfully, that's not the situation now. And it's just a matter of staying, staying organized, staying on top of things and and uh, taking an analytical approach to to all of that that I have to do.
0: So, do you have no email hours? Do you have hours when it's like, don't check my email, phone is off, don't look at it? Or are you always looking at the email and just choosing whether or not to respond?
1: I do not have no email hours. Okay. I I wish I could, but I definitely have hours that I don't respond. I'm the type where if I, I feel like I'll browse and see what's going on and just think about what I'm going to need to tackle first thing in the morning. And I'll start early. As soon as I get a moment in the morning schedule, you know, I'll start responding to people and and getting that just out of the way. But I won't respond. I I tend to not respond in the evening. Um, And I I do just because I'm always checking my phone. (laughs) I (laughs) happen to it comes up in the notifications. I can't avoid it unless I turn the notifications off, which I refuse. to do. So awesome. it's one of those things I've worked with, but I don't find it stressful. I yeah.
0: It. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm used to, you know, I, I started practicing law in the era of the Blackberry. So <laughs> I got used to when I was, I tell my students, I used to sleep with my Blackberry under my pillow, um, which is crazy. But um, you know, I always would have it be on do not disturb from like midnight to four, at least. Um, and so now I dial that back to 11 to four, but I try to do the same where even if I see it, I don't reply to it. Um, I also just think, I try not to have emails, although Mark's going to call me a liar. I try not to have emails in people's inboxes before 7. AM. I'm like, cause they're probably sleeping or doing whatever, but I, I, I'm a habitual like 5. AM emailer, uh, like before I get up and go work out or whatever. Um, and Anytime I hear someone that has a better handle on life, which Mark clearly does, I'm like taking, I'm taking personal notes today. I'm not even taking notes about his business.
1: I don't know how uh, i do I don't know. By the, by the grace of God. Yeah. I, I so, it
0: work. So my next question is, what can we do as listeners, as the general public, to support mixed digital. Like what do you need from us uh, to help your business, to support your business?
1: Just talk about. It. I mean, just you know, kind of keep keep a keep an ear out when someone is talking about them having a marketing challenge or not understanding how to utilize something in the marketing space that you know that we have a handle on or they're. Uh, it it, referrals. I I guess that's really, it's, it's referrals to us because when, whenever someone refers us, we're, we're coming in with that automatic comfort level, as opposed to someone finding us on their own through our marketing. It's a, it's a totally different scenario. And a lot of our growth can easily be attributed to referrals. We try to satisfy every client that we work with, right? Happy clients lead to referrals. And so that's the best way that you can help us. Um, and it can be in all areas of marketing, from graphic design, web design, video production, social media marketing, advertising, even running TV and radio spots. We, we've grown so much to do almost, almost anything in support of brands in need of telling their story.
0: There are two areas that I forgot to ma- I mentioned it in passing, but I didn't mention it in detail. And in this portion where I let you promote your business, um, I'd like you to talk more about it. First, um, the Art of Soul Music Festival. Is that the right? Art of Soul Music Festival that you did? Uh, the Root, Root of Soul. Root of Sorry, Soul. Sorry, Art of Soul is something else. Root of uh, Soul Music Festival that you did. And then the other is the work you've done on political campaigns. Um, and so uh, tell us a little bit about the music festival and your abilities to do that. Um, And then we'll transition to talking about political work that you've done.
1: So the Root of Soul, J19 Fest, is something that was established last year. It happened on June 19, 2021. Um, We were brought in early on to help build just everything. Build the brand. We named it. We came up with the visual concepts, the logo design, the website, and then we helped promote and sell tickets to, uh, you know, drive it to a successful inaugural event. Um, the history of the Root Soul Festival is just basically in celebration of emancipation in, in Texas, right, in Ju- mm-hmm. the June 19th celebration that took place in Texas and bringing that to Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston being a, an historically black city, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of history there. And so it was the perfect place to align with the Juneteenth celebration. Um, and last year was an interesting year because with, June, with Juneteenth becoming a national holiday, the popularity was sky high. But we were also dealing heavily with COVID, <laughs> so it was it was challenging in that respect. Where I feel like it could have been three times more successful in terms of attendance if COVID wasn't a factor. But we are very happy with what we accomplished, given those constraints. And the feedback was very positive. We had a lot of great feedback in terms of the branding that we did, that it was a, a, a very exciting design, it, it fit, it gave a nod to history. And on the client side, they were very happy with the work that we did. You know, we not only did Facebook and Instagram ads, but we produce radio spots. Um, the only thing we didn't do was TV. <laughs> oh, wow. We didn't have TV assets, but um, that was a, that was a fun campaign. And and the, we're working with them again this year on some aspects of the festival. It's changed a little bit. It's on June. It's a June 11th, so June 19th. And it's in partnership with uh, two other festivals, one, the Juneteenth, Juneteenth week and Juneteenth, I forget what the other name was, but two, two other festivals in Charleston. So they're kind of working together to expand that reach out for an entire week. Um, and we have worked with other events. We've done other event marketing before, but this was definitely by far the most fun, because we were there from the beginning, it felt like our baby, we were able to create it from scratch, which was a lot of fun. Um, the political side of things. So we got into political ads, probably five or so years ago. Our first opportunity came from a fraternity brother of mine who was running for treasurer in North Carolina. And he saw a video that we produced in promotion of the agency and said, hey, I see you do video, I'm running for treasurer, can you do a video for for my campaign? So we worked with them to develop the script, the concept, decided where we were going to shoot it, did all of the production and the editing, and were able to produce two two nice looking spots for for his campaign. Unfortunately, he didn't win, but, you know. Next time. That happens. (laughs) It happens. From there, we went on to work with a couple of mayoral candidates, a Senate candidate, and then our greatest achievement was participating in the Biden-Harris campaign. Um, we did... A, we were part of the production that produced the Black Mayors for Biden campaign. So it was... I want to say it was 20, 21 mayors across the country, and we shot uh, five of them. Wow. And they put it all together into this this one one big spot. But that was... That was an incredible opportunity for us to be able to work on a presidential campaign after coming from, you know, just ma- managing state, state level and and city level to get to the national platform was uh, was exciting for us.
0: You really buried the lead, Mark. <laughs> I like to be <laughs> like. Oh yeah, I planned a festival and oh we worked on the Biden Harris campaign. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I forgot about that one. I knew about the treasure one, but I forgot about Biden Harris. So that's, you know, it you're quite modest for a marketing person to not talk about how you worked <laughs> on a presidential campaign. I might have opened the interview with that if I oh, were okay. <laughs> I should
1: I'll <laughs> yeah. remember that. I'll take that note for next time.
0: Yeah. I mean that it, that's it has. That's- yeah,
1: it, it definitely has given us the opportunity to talk to more people now that they see that we've worked on that presidential campaign for, for their campaigns. And so that's given us some, some good opportunities. Um, it was, it's also given us opportunities to create different types of TV spots, mm-hmm. uh, commercial, and uh, what we call it uh, like corporate, corporate training and recruitment type videos as well. So w- within that, realm of video production we've gotten a lot more opportunities to add some some video projects to mix we're happy about that
0: i'm curious why root of soul did not do tv ads uh
1: i i think that it was that since it was their first year they wanted to intelligently spend their budget and tv production and running media paying for the media on tv can can be pricey And so I think that they will, that's something they'll probably pursue in the future. But in the first year, I think there were so many, there were so many things going on to just make sure that first year was a success Mm -hmm. that uh, they didn't want to overcomplicate it.
0: I'm curious, you know, your opinion on, I've noticed now when I open Hulu or I open Amazon, um, I'm seeing more local ads. It's as if they can tell exactly where I am and show me things based on my location. So if I log in in Texas, the ads look different on Amazon or Hulu than they do if I log in in Virginia. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I would love your opinion as a marketing person, you know, is there more value in that digital advertising that's targeted, or is it worth it to keep doing, you know, traditional TV commercials? So I
1: think, from my from my in my professional experience um, and having just worked with the campaign that dealt with IRS extensions, we felt it was more valuable to have that local presence. It enabled us to, again, more intelligently spend the client's budget to target a smaller area and be able to get more more feedback on the results of that effort. When you're doing a national buy, it's a lot, you're spreading your budget much thinner, unless you've got an exorbitant budget, which most, uh, you know, most companies do not have, unless they are big enterprises, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at a, a moderate, a modest budget, you want to get the most bang for the buck. And doing it in a localized manner is the best way to achieve that. So you're definitely, I can definitely speak for Hulu, you're definitely seeing advertisers that came on there in their self-directed platform that are able to target that specific area and additional demographic information such as age, um, gender, and online behaviors and and that type of thing. There's a lot of different ways that you can fine-tune that audience to find who you're really looking for and who's most likely to interact with or respond to the ad.
0: So it sounds like the bang for your buck is the digital. Yes.
1: Uh, Yes. I tend to, I mean, I tend to skew toward digital because of the accountability. I'm a very analytics numbers oriented, data oriented type person. And I like to be able to prove out that what we're doing for a client is working. It's a lot more difficult with traditional media. If you think about uh, a billboard, you know, how do you prove that a billboard's working? It's, it's kind of difficult. You can send it to a specific website address with like slash billboard, just as mm-hmm. an example so that they know that anyone who touches that portion of the site came from the billboard. But ultimately it becomes a challenge to really assess the performance of that versus a Google ad or a Facebook ad where it's a direct linear correlation, you have tracking every step of the way and you can see how much you spent, how much you, how much you generated in revenue. And it's very simple to be able to say, this is working or this is not.
0: Awesome. All right. So to close this out, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So I'd love to know what advice you have for other entrepreneurs Um, and to give that a little more framing. If you could go back in time to when you first started your business, what would you say to yourself?
1: (sighs) Invest more in sales. Stick with what stick with what you know. I'm I'm very good at what I do in terms of the marketing, but I'm not a salesperson. And when you're running your own business, you're forced to do everything. You're forced to learn things outside of your comfort zone. So, what I would do differently is I would either have worked with a partner that was really heavy on the sales expertise or budgeted in and spent money and reinvested profits in a salesperson that would help me reach more opportunities. Once once I get them, once I get them in and I'm in front of them, I can then do the selling. But it's it's that business development side of things that was always a challenge and, and remains to be a challenge. I think that's consistent with the industry. Generating leads is always
0: difficult. Awesome. No, I think that's really important. Um, and I think it's generally important for business owners and people who are future business owners, like know your own strengths um, and know when you need to outsource because uh, no one's an expert in everything, right? And plan,
1: plan, plan, plan. Do as much research as you possibly can. Understand your competition. Understand the market. You don't want to make a mistake and think that you've got something great, that there's 12 other companies out there doing the same exact thing as you. And getting into that mix is going to be uh, incredibly challenging for you. So plan, research, and work with complementary people You know, or people with complementary skills.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for joining me um, and for being one of my featured entrepreneurs. Um, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to Getting Common. If you ever miss an episode, you can catch the rebroadcasts anywhere podcasts are streamed on the Voice America website and on our YouTube channel. Feel free to email me through the show page on the Voice America website, or you can reach out to me on social media. I am at Carlos C on all platforms. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Mark, for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Please join us again next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thoughtful discussion.